Happy New Year. On today's episode of the Hoop Journal Podcast, I'm talking about some rookies that are off to some really hot starts to their NBA careers. I'm talking about the Warriors and their not-so-hot start. I'll tell you why your favorite team should not make a trade for James Harden, and then we'll go around the league talking about the latest news. As always, thank you guys for listening and enjoy today's episode. So first things first, I want to talk about a few rookies that have really impressed me to start the season. First off, I want to talk about Precious Achua of the Heat. So Precious was 21st on my final big board for this year's draft. Uh, Had I known he was going to end up in Miami, I would have moved him up a few spots because I think that's a perfect pairing. Not only does Precious provide a need for Miami as like an energy big and someone who is just like a big body in the middle, that Miami culture is also the perfect fit for Precious. Because that's a team that knows who they are already and is not going to ask for too much of him. Um, He can just fill in to a specific role. So through the first three games, Precious is shooting nearly 70% from the field, getting easy baskets by running the floor. And defensively, he's extremely active. Per 36, he's averaging seven boards and nearly a block and a steal per game. I've seen him guard multiple positions. I've seen him guard switch as well. I've seen him take the ball off the glass and take it up the floor on his own. He's already looking like what I could have hoped for him in a best case scenario by the end of his rookie year, and we're three games in. So he's off to a hot start, and so is Tyrese Halliburton on the Kings. He's been coming off the bench to start off, but he's averaging 27 minutes a game, and he's shooting over 50% from three, averaging 10, 2, and 5 in a steal a game. And he just looks extremely NBA ready. I mean, he looks like a six-year vet already. He's extremely poised on the floor. He's making the right plays, making the right reads with the ball in his hands. Um, He's been a great addition to this Kings team, who's already picked up two wins over the Nuggets. And don't get me wrong, I was really high on Halliburton. He was one of the top prospects on my big board, but he's been even better than I could have expected. If by the end of the season, the Kings can roll with a closing lineup of Fox, Halliburton, Heald, Barnes, and Bagley, I think this is actually going to be a really competitive Kings team. I had them slated for, I want to say, the 13th seed uh, towards the bottom of the Western Conference this year, Uh, but they could really end up surprising some people. I don't want to overreact to this first week of the season, but they look really good. Beating the Nuggets twice is no easy task, and I know the first game ended on some really crazy stuff, but... They've looked really good to start the season as a whole, and Tyrese Halliburton's a big part of that. Another really exciting rookie guard has been Peyton Pritchard of the Boston Celtics. Now, when they took him with the 26th pick, I thought it was for sure a reach. He, to me, was not really a first-round prospect, but he's been incredible in his first few games. He's hit over half of his threes to start the year. His effective field goal percentage is over 70%, and he's just looked like a veteran point guard on the floor. He looks very comfortable in the pick-and-roll. I really don't like the minutes that he's played with Teague, but that's really more on Brad Stevens than it is Peyton Pritchard. Um, I really don't know why the Celtics are running two point guard lineups like that, but Pritchard himself, he's been outstanding. I think he can be a legit contributor for them, like an actual piece of the rotation. Even when Kemba comes back, I could see him stealing some minutes from Jeff Teague because he really is NBA ready. Like He does not look rattled by NBA defenders whatsoever to this point. So as long as he's not hurting the Celtics defensively, he should absolutely be getting minutes on a consistent basis. I'm actually not even against the idea as a Celtics fan of him starting alongside Smart in the backcourt in favor of Tice because the Tristan Thompson, Daniel Tice frontcourt has not really worked out so far. It's, it's given them a boost on the interior defensively, 
but it is hurting their offense because Tice being asked to be a floor spacer is not really the role for him. So I actually like the idea of Pritchard in that starting lineup rather than Tice and allowing the Tice to really just be the back of five instead. Also, I want to talk about KZ Akpala of the Miami Heat. He's technically not a rookie. He played five games last season, um, but he, he's impressed me quite a bit um, in his limited minutes to start this year. The counting stats aren't what's important. He's averaging a point and a half and two rebounds a game, but he's defending multiple positions well. He's flowing within their offense, and I think over the course of this regular season, he's going to be a regular contributor for them, probably someone that gets cut from the playoff rotation, but for these 72 games, I think he's going to have an impact. So now it's time for the negative Nancy segment of the podcast where we talk about the Warriors and the slow start they've gotten off to. So they've technically turned it around after getting absolutely demolished in the first two games of the season. They won on a buzzer beater over the Bulls, and then they beat the Pistons by 10 in their last game. So after losing by a combined 63 points in their first two games, they've bounced back with two wins, but this Warriors team still has a lot of issues that they need to work out. So the most alarming part of it all has been just how poorly Andrew Wiggins and particularly Kelly Oubre have performed to start the year. Kelly Oubre has made, as of now, I believe one shot that wasn't uh, a layup or a dunk. He's 1 for 21 from 3. He's 13 from 50 from the field overall. And Wiggins hasn't been much better. He's 37% from the field as of right now. And it's also become abundantly clear that those two guys just don't make up for the loss of Clay Thompson and the loss of Draymond. This team is desperately lacking another playmaker next to Steph. Because when Steph can't play off the ball consistently, he's just not able to be at his best because his gravity off the ball is really what makes him such a dynamic offensive player. And when he's forced to dominate the ball like he's had to uh, to start the year, he's just not at his best. And as a result, the Warriors just have not been good so far. Even with Wiseman being surprisingly impactful so far to start the year, it's just not enough for this Warriors team to make the sort of postseason run that they're accustomed to. Like Wiseman shows flashes of being a rim protector and running the floor really well and even taking the ball on the coast to coast, but he's not ready to be a championship caliber starting center. I think he's someone that they can legitimately build with moving forward, but this season he's not going to go up against AD and outbattle him in a playoff series or Jokic or any of these bigs. The Warriors, if they have any hope of making a real title run, they definitely need to either unlock 2016 Draymond five years later or find a way to make a trade for a real impact player alongside Steph. Otherwise, I fully expect them to be in the play-in tournament. Uh, Curry's good enough to get you to 40-something wins in a regular season, but he can't carry a team entirely by himself. He needs someone that can allow him to play off the ball. So with this current roster construction, I'm projecting the Warriors to be maybe a 7 or 8 seed. And at that point, you're looking at the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, maybe the Mavericks in a first-round matchup. And I can't say I like the Warriors' odds there, so I think they're in some trouble, but it's a smart franchise. I think they'll they'll make the right moves. It's just a matter of will it be enough. All right, so now I want to pivot from the Warriors to another Western Conference team that's in flux, so to speak, uh, the Houston Rockets, more specifically James Harden and his trade request. Quick side note first, I just want to mention how I think it's pretty funny when a star player, and this happens across multiple different leagues, um, but when a star player requests a trade and also includes the specific team or set of teams that they want to be traded to, as if the team isn't going to just trade them to whoever offers the most. 
So Harden has been slowly expanding his desired trade destinations when in reality, Houston's going to deal him to whatever team gives them the best offer. But with that being said, I want to talk about why I think a lot of the teams that are in the mix for Harden actually shouldn't go for him. And I want to start off by talking about how when the Nets came out hot to start the year, they had two really big wins to start the year and Kevin Durant looked like his old self. A lot of people reacted as if that meant that other teams should start preparing their mega offers for James Harden. And that just never made sense to me because I think even if KD is his old self, like the Nets are probably the favorites in the East, but I still think the Eastern Conference is wide open. And that's now even more so the case now that Spencer Dinwiddie's out for the year with a torn ACL. So so the idea that teams are all of a sudden just going to you know give up the whole farm for James Harden because of two games of KD and Kyrie... I think it's ridiculous. The East is wide open, and I don't think any team necessarily needs to go all in for James Harden in order to compete with the Nets. I think the Bucks, the Celtics, the Heat, like there are plenty of other contenders in the East. Um, so I, I don't really see the rationale in going all in necessarily on James Harden. Like I'm not giving up everything I have and like outbidding other teams to go for James Harden. So starting with Boston, I think a James Harden deal would likely require Jalen Brown. And if I'm the Celtics, I'm not giving up Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum for just about anything. Those guys are all NBA candidates for the next five to 10 years. And to me, you just don't trade one of those guys unless you feel like you're guaranteed a championship. And James Harden isn't doing that for the Celtics. As great as he is, just putting him on that Celtics team doesn't instantly make them the conclusive favorites. If I were Boston, I'd much rather just continue to build around Tatum and Brown and Smart and Kemba and these guys rather than go for a 32-year-old who's not entirely committed to even sticking around. But that's just me. You know, stars win championships, but if it were my team, I wouldn't want that star to be James Harden. I'd rather have the 22-year-old Jalen Brown, the 21-year-old Jason Tatum, and just build around those guys rather than giving up one of them and additional assets to go for Harden. Now, for Toronto, I think there could be a package that makes sense for them to go for Harden, uh, but I just don't think it's a package that Houston would really want. Like, if they could move on from Lowry to pick up Harden, I think it makes it worth it, but what interest would the Rockets have in adding a 34-year-old Kyle Lowry when, first of all, he's 34 years old, and they already have John Wall on the roster? So I just can't see a move that makes sense for both sides. You know, In theory, adding Harden to the Raptors makes sense, you know, it made sense when they added Kawhi to sort of elevate them to real contender status. So theoretically, it could make sense. There's just not really a package out there for Houston that makes sense to send Harden off to Toronto. As far as the Sixers go, I actually think a Ben Simmons for James Harden swap makes perfect sense. But if I'm Philly, I'm not offering any more than just Ben Simmons straight up. There's not a team out there that, at least to this point, has made anything better available than Ben Simmons. So The Sixers easily have the best trade package for James Harden, and it's Ben Simmons straight up. So if they can do that swap, I would say, yeah, go for Harden. Otherwise, I would stay put with the roster they have. Their offense looks really improved with more shooters around Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid looks like he's in better shape, which doesn't really mean much in the first week of the season. We'll see how that holds up. But the Sixers team looks good right now, and... I really would not give up anything more than just Ben Simmons to acquire James Harden if I were the Sixers because no other team has a better offer than they do. Now, if you want to talk about the Heat, I think you could make a case that it makes sense for the Heat to go for Harden 
as Jimmy Butler's already into his 30s as well. And I don't think that Tyler Hero is some untouchable trade piece. I do think Bam is that player, but I would feel comfortable giving up Hero. I just don't think it's a good fit with Harden in Miami. Miami's a team that is really predicated on ball movement and finding the open man and just flowing within the offense. And as we all know, that is not Harden's game whatsoever. So I just don't really like the fit there on the court. And the fit from more of an organizational standpoint is a little iffy as well. You know, Miami's really big on their Miami Heat culture, you know, having no body fat and all the different things that go with being part of the Miami Heat. And I don't think James Harden would fit in well there. I don't think Pat Riley would like having James Harden on his team. I don't think Eric Spolstra would like having James Harden on his team. And I don't really think a lot of those players would like playing with James Harden either. Uh, Like someone like Goran Dragic, I could not see him being happy about a, a James Harden trade. You might say, well, who cares what Goran Dragic thinks if we're adding James Harden to the team? But it matters. Like These are human beings. If they're surrounded by people they don't like being around, it's going to impact the way they play. And if James Harden were to come to the Heat and he just didn't fit in well with this roster, just didn't mesh, it could completely ruin their championship window and set them back 10 years. So I would be very apprehensive if I was Miami about making a move for Harden. I feel like I would need Pat Riley to meet up with James Harden personally and have a conversation with him before he can come to the team because I could really see that not going well. I could see Harden just not really fitting in with the organization and you know, wanting to do his iso ball, wanting to run the show and practice when he feels like it and that sort of thing. And I don't think that would fly in Miami, especially with Jimmy Butler at the helm. So yeah, just thinking about Jimmy Butler on the same team as James Harden, I think Butler would want to kill James Harden within three weeks, honestly. Uh, Maybe I'm just over-exaggerating who I think those guys are, but I just don't really think that Harden fits well in Miami, and I think that matters despite him being an MVP caliber player. It's just a risky move, Um, and I don't know if it's worth it for Miami. I think they have a really good core in place as is. They have a lot of young talent. I like the direction they've been trending in the last few years, and I don't know if they should really push the chips into the middle for James Harden. Looking at some other teams in the Eastern Conference, uh, the Bucks aren't going to trade for Harden. They don't have the assets for him anymore. Plus, Giannis hates him anyway. Uh, the Pacers, I don't think they're going to do it either. I do think they could put together a decently interesting package, but just looking at their franchise history, the likeliness of them going all-in for a star player is slim to none. So I'm, I'm sort of just taking them out of the sweepstakes. Obviously, the Wizards aren't going to trade for him. Uh, the Hawks, I don't think, have the assets. Despite having a bunch of good young players, uh, you would also need to match salary, and Atlanta just doesn't really have that combination right now. And then if we look at the Western Conference, the Nuggets have sort of been, in my eyes, the sleeper team that could go for Harden. But personally, I just really like the Murray and Jokic duo. I really like how they play together. I really like Michael Porter Jr.'s potential. I think he can be an all-star player. So if it were me, I'd rather just hold on to those guys, hold on to the players they picked up in the draft this year, their future picks and everything, and just run with that. I think they have a legitimate five-plus-year window here with these guys where they can be legitimate contenders. And if they made a move for Harden, they might have marginally improved title odds, but it suddenly becomes a two- to three-year window. Personally, when it comes to team building, this is just my philosophy, but I would rather have more swings at a title rather than less swings that are marginally better. 
I think it makes more sense for Denver to remain contenders as long as Jokic and Murray are on the team rather than move on from a lot of their young pieces to acquire Harden and have a two-year run where maybe they win the finals, maybe they don't. I just think sustainable I just think sustainable success is kind of being undervalued right now among at least fans in the media because they want every team to just go all in for a title this one year when Really, the best way to build a team is to slowly work your way up to having a roster that can consistently fight for titles. So, yeah, I'd rather just stick with the core that I had if I was Denver. Uh, because not to mention, I really think Harden and Jokic would be a pretty awful pairing. Like, I really don't think they would mesh well together at all. Uh, maybe it'd be fun to watch them run some pick and rolls. But if you think about the way Jokic plays, like he's like a he's like the hub of their offense. He's in the high post. He's letting guys cut to the basket, moving around so we can find him for an open pass. Harden would not fit in well playing next to Jokic, and Jokic would not fit in well playing next to Harden because, I mean, Jokic is a fine shooter, but, you know, he's not like a, a floor spacer. There's not someone you're going to put in the corner for catch-and-shoot opportunities. So I don't really think Denver should make a move for Harden. For some reason, they're still like my sleeper team to ultimately pull the trigger on a James Harden deal, but... On paper, I just think the fit is pretty poor and it's just not worth the risk when you have such a young, sustainable team. Harden also added uh, Portland to his list of desired trade destinations. And if Portland could put together a package that Houston would accept, then maybe it's worth it. But I just don't even think they have the assets to go for a guy like Harden. Like their only real desirable assets are CJ, Nurk. Obviously, the Rockets don't want Covington. We saw that. Uh, Anthony Simons, I guess, maybe Nasir Little if someone wanted to take a flyer on him and whatever picks they have available to move. So that leaves basically two options. Either the Trailblazers can absolutely gut the roster and surround Damon Harden with Robert Covington and some G League players, or Houston would have to take pennies on the dollar for Harden, which I, I don't really see that happening. The most realistic package I could think of is... CJ, Nasir Little, and basically every draft pick they can send out over the next seven years, which I think is the limit. Um, and even then, like if you're Houston, do you really want CJ McCollum? I think he's really good, don't get me wrong, but he's not the type of player I think you should be getting back if you're selling on your franchise player and entering a rebuild. McCollum is 29 years old now, I believe, and has never made an all-star team. Now, whether he should have at some point in his career, that's a discussion for another day, but he's not like a real building block type of player, and he's not someone that is still waiting to hit his prime. So if that's what you're getting back in a deal for James Harden, then ideally you're not a rebuilding team. But you look at this Rockets team, and they have John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, and Christian Wood. Those are three guys who over the last two years have combined for what, like 75 games of NBA basketball max. So the Rockets are in a really tough spot, and I don't think they should be moving on from Harden for like a keep-you-afloat type of player because if they replace Harden with CJ, you know, him and Wall form a, a decent backcourt but not an all-star backcourt. Christian Wood is really good but not great. Boogie looks decent coming back from injuries. Then you're looking at like a 9-seed, maybe a 10-seed type of team. And that's exactly where you don't want to be. Like, I guess that gets you a play-in spot this year, but in the long run, being just outside the playoff race is probably the worst place you can be as an NBA franchise. You're not 
you know, bad enough to get a top pick, but you're not making the playoffs. So from Houston's perspective, I don't think sending Harden to Portland is a good idea. And then on Portland's end, it's beyond just a risky move because you'd have to essentially gut the roster to make it worth it for Houston. And I, I just don't think that's a good idea. Um, you know, certain people will say if you have two star players, like legit star players, then you can always find a way to make it work. But personally, I think you need a legitimate eight-man rotation. No matter who your star players are, if you don't have other guys that are at least competent role players, then you just won't be able to get it done over the course of a seven-game series. So I think it's way too risky of a move for Portland. It's not like, you know, Dame is like got one foot out the door or whatever. He's very committed to Portland. So I, I don't think this is the type of risk you make if you're Portland. The Warriors could be interesting. They are the team that probably has the best chance to change the way James Harden plays, but I just don't know if they could come up with a package that Houston would like. You would have to include Andrew Wiggins just to make the salaries match, unless they wanted to include Draymond Green, but I don't know if Houston really wants either of those guys. And then when you start talking about you know assets that are actually desirable, that would actually make Houston want to move Harden to Golden State, uh, the Warriors have the Timberwolves first round pick this year, which is top three protected. That could be super valuable. Even if it does convey, you would get the pick next year. So that's a really desirable uh, draft pick right there. They have guys like Jordan Poole and Eric Pascal, which, you know, are sweeteners. Uh, and then James Wiseman really, I think, is what this trade would hinge on. If the Warriors weren't willing to move on from James Wiseman, I don't really see how a deal would get done because they just don't have enough of other desirable assets to make this deal work. So if they were to pull the trigger on James Harden, I think that'd be pretty exciting to see him play with Curry. So I guess actually the more I think about it, I actually don't think it's a bad idea for the Warriors to go for Harden because yes, yeah, sure. They could play the long game and, you know, build around Wiseman long-term, but I'm not even sure if that's a good idea. And so you might as well maximize Curry and Draymond's window by, adding a star player. So I guess I've actually talked myself into Harden going to the Warriors, so I guess just scrap this whole segment. No, I'm just kidding, but uh, I guess Harden to the Warriors could make some sense, but I, I don't really know if they have the package to even get that done, so we'll see. As far as other teams go, like if you're like a Kings fan or like a Magic fan or like a Bulls fan, something like that, then yeah, I think your team should trade for James Harden, but those aren't even teams that are in the mix because they're not anywhere near being contenders right now so Harden doesn't want to go there but again I, I don't really think that that should stop you um, I don't think the Raptors were on Kawhi's list when he requested a trade out of San Antonio uh, Boston was not really on Kyrie's list I think it was eventually but when he first requested the trade he didn't want to go to Boston and obviously you know the Kawhi trade worked out Kyrie not so much but my point is if a star is available and you have a package that gets the job done then I think you go for it when you're a team like Orlando or Sacramento because for one that's the only way you're ever going to acquire a star player like that yeah you could draft one but in terms of getting one while they're in their prime that that's the only way you're going to do it is this sort of situation so even if you know he leaves in two years even if he's unhappy during his time there you still have James Harden so if I were the, like the kings of the magic that sort of team I, I would go well in for James Harden, but if I was looking to contend, if I was already a contender looking to take that next step, I don't think Harden is worth the risk. Not only the risk of 
you know, moving on from young players and picks and all these assets, but also just the headache of having James Harden on your team. Like, again, if you're the Kings, I think you just roll with it. But, you know, one of the teams I talked about earlier, for one of those teams, I just don't think it's worth having to deal with having James Harden on your team every single day. You know, I'm not a Rockets fan, so I can't speak to what it's like to have James Harden on your team, but it didn't look like a whole lot of fun from the outside looking in. So it's not like James Harden guarantees you a title anyway. So if I was a team that was already in contention, I don't think it's worth pulling the trigger on him. But again, a team like the Kings, Magic, that sort of thing, it makes sense. You know, sell some tickets, sell some jerseys, create some buzz. But if, if you think you can win a title without him, you should go ahead and do that. So there's my anti-Harden rant for the day. I also posted about it on Instagram, although I'm assuming if you're listening to this, it's because you follow me on Instagram. So, But if you want to go see that, uh, at the underscore hoop journal. Now I want to talk about some news going on around the league. So first, the G League is trying to secure a bubble at Disney World so that they can have a season this year. Of the 28 G League affiliates, 17 of them opted into playing in the bubble. And then we also have the G League Ignite team, which has the kids out of high school, Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga and those guys. So it'll be an 18-team league playing 12 to 15 games, uh, as well as a playoff series, or I guess a full playoffs. The tentative dates for this bubble, they would arrive January 26th at Disney uh, before quarantining. And then February 8th, the season would tip off, 12 to 15 game schedule, and then the playoffs would go from March 5th to the 9th. So I think this is a really good idea for the G League. Uh, the G League is actually not really profitable as is, like in a normal season. So it's not like they were losing out on potential revenue. The G League loses money every year. So putting in the money, the investment to give them this bubble, I think is really important for all the guys that are going to be playing in this bubble. I think it's going to give these guys a real opportunity to sort of prove themselves more so than they would in a normal season, because I think the bubble will sort of put a spotlight on them because no one really thinks about the G League much over the course of the season. But during this tight window where they're playing in a bubble and you know they're at Disney, I, I think it'll create some buzz for the G League and put some attention on the guys playing in the league. And also, because it is a bubble, guys on two-way contracts likely won't be there because if their NBA affiliate wants them, that essentially takes them out of the entire bubble. Like if It'll be the same as when the NBA went to the bubble where if you leave and you come back, you have to quarantine first. So given how tight the schedule is, if a player were to leave the bubble they probably won't be able to come back and play. So that means that guys that are on two-way contracts likely won't be there, which opens up even more opportunities for G League players. So I think it's a really exciting opportunity for these guys, and I'm also really, really excited to see the Ignite team play against some real competition. Uh, I've seen some highlights of scrimmages, but I'm really excited to see Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga go up against formidable teams in like a, a competitive setting. Hopefully those games will be broadcasted. I don't know for sure. I wasn't able to find out about that, but that'll be kicking off at the start of next month. So I'm looking forward to that. And also the the G League draft is being held on the 11th of January. For those who are not familiar, the G League draft is essentially, the G League just has a pool of about 150 players who have signed contracts with the league, not necessarily a team. They just sign to the G League and then they get put into a pool there's four rounds, and teams have to make at least two selections. They can make up to all four if they want to. And it's just like an extra tool that helps build out the roster. 
So now we have to shift towards injury news. Unfortunately, there's a whole lot of injury news to update you on. So the biggest one was Job Morant going down with a left ankle sprain a few days ago. He had an MRI. Uh, there's no fracture, but he'll be out for about three to five weeks. And I think this is going to be a huge turning point for the Grizzlies because with Jaron Jackson Jr. already out for the foreseeable future, and now with the jaw out, I think this sort of uh, this sort of shifts the the expectations for the Grizzlies for this season because I had them pinned as a play-in team, you know, right in the mix with like the Pelicans and the Warriors and the teams right around that eight-nine seed conversation. But now without Jaw for the next month or so, I think they could definitely slip into a tank for the season, which could actually be sort of a blessing in disguise because. I mean, we know this Grizzlies team isn't winning a title this year as is. So if they were to end up in the lottery due to Ja and Jaron Jackson Jr. being out and they get like the fifth pick or something and they're able to add like a Jonathan Kaminga or like one of these wings in this year's draft, then I think they could actually be better off in the long run because I think this team needs uh, like a really nice building block on the wing. Because Ja, I think, is a franchise guard. I think you can build your team around him. I think he's a future superstar. And I think uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. can be a legitimate starting big man on a championship team. But Dylan Brooks and Justice Winslow, that's not really enough on the wing to get it done. So I think if they could snatch one of the top wings in this year's class and sort of build a big three with that roster right there, I think they can definitely make some noise in the coming years. So them losing games this year probably isn't the worst thing for them in the long run um, especially if they're losing because their two best players are out like if they're just losing because they're just playing bad basketball obviously that's not good for the future development but you know if they can you know be competitive while moving closer and closer towards the number one pick I think that would honestly be the ideal situation long term for the Grizzlies but in the short term, I think this means a lot for DeAnthony Melton. I think there's going to be a lot on his plate moving forward until Ja gets back. And I'm interested to see how he handles it. I really like DeAnthony Melton. Um, I think he's really valuable for the Grizzlies. But now in this bigger role, we'll have to see if he can handle it. Um, the defense is going to be a lot more keyed in on him as the primary ball handler. And they might have to rely on Tyus Jones to run their offense. But I'm really intrigued at the opportunity that Melton's going to get while Ja's out. So next, uh, Zach Collins of the Trailblazers is injured again. He has a left ankle stress fracture, which means he'll be out probably about six to eight weeks. And I think this is really more of a blow to Collins himself than it is for the Blazers because it feels like ever since they drafted him, Collins has been dealing with uh, injury issues. So I don't know how much the roster is actually going to be hurting from him not being on the floor because it feels like they were already prepared to not have him anyway. So this really is really just more impactful towards Collins himself and how the rest of his career will pan out because eventually, like even if you have injuries that are independent of each other, at some point they start to add up. Like it's one thing to, you know, have like a Derrick Rose type of situation where he's consistently getting injured because of previous injuries, but eventually, you know, we've we've seen this with Gordon Hayward. He's had a ton of freak injuries that are unrelated to each other, but it's severely impacted his ability to be the best version of himself and especially when it happens when you're a young player like this has been going on since Zach Collins entered the league so I think it's really hindering his development obviously and if he can't put in a full season then eventually he's just going to fall out of the league because no one's really going to want to give him the opportunity but in terms of what it means for Portland I think it really only just 
hurts Collins trade value more than it hurts Portland's like title odds or anything like that because you know they have Covington they have Nurkic they added Cantor they added Giles so I think they have enough front court depth to be fine without him it's just now it was a potential trade asset that's no longer there more so than a nice young player that can help them win but speaking of young nice players who can help you win Chuma Okeke of the Orlando Magic is injured he has a bone bruise in his left knee it just depends on how bad the bruise is uh, but expect him to be out for at least two to four weeks potentially a month or more uh, and it's really unfortunate he missed his entire rookie season last year due to a torn acl and he was playing pretty well he was only getting about 16 minutes a game through four games for the magic but he was playing pretty well he looked like he was finally ready to establish himself as an nba player so it really sucks to see him go down i, I hope he can come back fully healthy and put in a good season because I think he has really good potential. I remember watching him at Auburn his final year in college and he looked like a really versatile wing that can do a lot of different things. And so I really want to see him and I really want to see him develop. So hopefully he can come back, but he'll be out for a few weeks. I just noticed that these are all lower body injuries. Like Kevin Love is out three to four weeks with a calf strain. Um, I don't think the Cavs really are going to miss him too much. They've been playing well without him and obviously he's not in their long-term plans so I think him being out outside of just making him more tradable I don't think they're really losing anything by not having him active so Danilo Gallinari is out with an ankle sprain that he suffered in the Hawks last game Uh, I did not find a timetable for his return but it is an ankle sprain so I'm guessing a few weeks TJ Warren has a left foot stress fracture so he's going to be out for quite a while actually it's a really tough blow to the Pacers He was their leading scorer last year, and he was averaging 15 points a game to start off this year. Uh, A little bit of good news for Pacers fans, though, is that TJ Warren had a similar procedure back in 2016 when he was on the Suns, and he was able to get to a full recovery. So expect him to make a full recovery, uh, but he will be out for the foreseeable future. Michael Porter Jr. will also be out for the foreseeable future due to the NBA's health and safety protocols and the contact tracing measures. Um, I don't know the full details of what happened, but essentially this means that MPJ came into contact with someone who tested positive for the thing that I don't think I can say if I put this on YouTube, but you know what I'm talking about. So he'll be out at least for one game. I'm guessing it just depends on the status of his next test, Um, but he will be out. He's going to miss their game on New Year's Day against the Suns and then potentially their game against the Timberwolves on the 3rd. And then one last little bit of uh, injury news. Torrey Craig of the Bucks will be out for about two weeks after he had surgery to repair a fractured nose. 